3: From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The first and most important thing to say is that a lot of people in Oakland are hurting. They've lost loved ones, they've seen people shot and killed. The increase in violence in Oakland over the past couple years, with homicides up more than 50% in 2021 from the pre-pandemic years, is not abstract. We need to try to understand the dynamics of this ongoing tragedy. And as an Oakland resident, I know that everyone was happy to take credit when crime fell through the 2010s, but how about now? Who can be held accountable? Today, we've got Mayor Libby Schaff, Police Chief Laron Armstrong, and the Head of Violence Prevention Guillermo Cespedes Join us for a conversation about Oakland's Path Forward. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Two Berkeley High School students were shot and killed at an Oakland birthday party on Saturday. On Wednesday, six adults were shot at an Oakland school. The week before, two men were killed near their mosque after attending services. And in a shooting outside of City Hall during a city council meeting, one man was killed another injured. It seems like every day we're waking up in Oakland to a new horror. And of course, the problems aren't limited to Oakland. The whole Bay Area has seen an increase in violence. We're just distilling it like we often do. If you look at a chart of homicides or shootings, it's not hard to see the moment when everything changed. In the late 2010s, the number of homicides was close to a half-century low. Then the pandemic hit. Oakland had more than 100 murders for the first time in a decade, In many ways, Oakland is a different city than it was in 2012, and the decline in violence had felt durable. But 2021 was even worse, and with three months left of this year, yesterday Oakland saw its 100th killing. A six-year-old man was gunned down near Deframory Park in the West. Joining us this morning, we've got three city leaders. We're going to map the situation with them, and then we're going to go to the phones and have them respond directly to your concerns. We want to welcome our guests and thank them for for coming on. We're joined by Mayor Libby Schaff. Thanks for coming on, Mayor.
4: Thanks for having me.
3: Chief of Police Laron Armstrong. Thank you for coming on, Chief Armstrong.
5: Thank you for having me.
3: And Chief of Violence Prevention Guillermo Cespedes. Which thank is. You. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on, Guillermo. I just want to note too that it's the. The Department of Violence Prevention is a different department inside the city. It's not within the police department, and it focuses on a public health approach to to violence prevention. Um, Guillermo, let's start with you. Can you help us understand what's going on and give us an overview, like how different have things become in these recent months and years?
2: Well, um, first of all, um, thank you for having, having the department here. And um, I like to start by really offering my sympathies, my condolences to all of the families that have lost members over the last, really over the last couple of years, things have been really tough in the last 24 hours, even um, close members of my team have lost family members um, to the senseless violence that is taking place throughout the city. My condolences to all the families and, um, you know, just to set the context, I think, um, you know, your previous segment was talking about flu shots, and all of the health aspects that were left over as a result of COVID. Um, we anticipated things were going to get really rough. I think nationally, you know that between 2021 and 2020, uh, we had the single biggest one-year spike in homicides ever in recorded history since we've been keeping data.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So... Um, that filtered throughout the nation and Oakland was not alone in that. We also had a huge spike in gender-based violence. Um, we looked at the data on school violence and that was also a spike.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We also looked at the number of households that um, bought guns during the pandemic, an increase of 18% of households bought guns. None of this data is going to consult families. I'm just using the data to paint a picture of what's been going on. Mm-hmm. So the city of Oakland anticipated all this, the Department of Violence Prevention anticipated this, and we dedicated additional funding to gun violence, because we knew that was spiking, we dedicated additional funding to school violence, we knew that was spiking, Uh, we dedicated additional funding, not just funding, funding and programs to to school based interventions. In other words, uh, the Department of Violence Prevention along with the legislative body and the executive branch prepared for this. Um, The pandemic exposed vulnerabilities in black and brown communities that are not new. They they did not create this problem. It just exposed problems that were Mm -hmm. multi-generational. And so we've seen a spike in gun violence, in gender-based violence, in school-based violence. Um, and excess of guns, more people bought guns. And I think we also have to address the fact that all of us are left a little bit um, vulnerable mental health-wise since the pandemic. Arguments that before would be settled with words now may take a fist fight or even a gunfight. Mm. So this is the vulnerability that we're living yes. with. Um, we have implemented public health approaches based on evidence-based practices uh, that we know are effective. Um, you know, it's um, it, we're not resourced enough to do everything that Oakland needs, but that's not a complaint. That's just a fact. Yeah. So in addition to what, you know, the legislative branch and the executive branch have put together in terms of funding, we have been um, really generating state funding, philanthropic funding, um, but this is a battle that Oakland is... Um, waging a, yeah. a bit alone and, and we need help so um all of that to say that um what we're facing is it's a ugly perfect storm of conditions that all of urban america is facing however um, we have to take care of our children that yeah. are
3: um here in our town yeah thank you thank town. you guillermo You know, Chief Armstrong, can you give us some updates on the specifics of a couple of these recent stories? Like, what do we know about the Berkeley High student shooting?
5: Well, what we know is that it was a birthday party for a Mm 17-year-old. We know that she invited a limited number of people to the party. But we know social media, obviously, you know, is a place where people, you know, share their locations or invite people that weren't necessarily invited to the party. We know that a conflict that may have occurred uh, weeks prior uh, in Berkeley uh, may have contributed to this. uh, And we do believe that two individuals uh, came to this residence um, and specifically began to fire shots Mm. at specific individuals within uh, the party. And that's very unfortunate, obviously, you know, traumatic for so many young people that were there, but also our entire city of Oakland, the Berkeley community, and mm-hmm. the Berkeley High School community, who we saw last night, obviously, uh, at the visual mm-hmm. uh, grieving as a result yeah. of this.
3: What do we know about the school shooting that occurred where six adults were, were uh, injured? You said it was gang-related. Does that mean that the department sort of has evidence about what happened there and who was involved?
5: Yeah, what it means is that our investigation uh, we have connected what we believe other events involving groups and gangs uh, that is connected to this shooting. Uh, So it means that, you know, some of our ceasefire team that is designed to really follow up on groups and gangs to really uh, focus on those at the highest risk of being involved in violence. uh, They are tracking shootings uh, on a daily and weekly basis. Uh, and when they have intelligence uh, to connect violence to a t- particular group or gang, they do follow up related to that. And what we know is that we believe uh, that prior incidents that have happened within the last couple months were connected to groups and gangs.
3: Yeah, We're talking about the increase in violence in Oakland with Chief of Police, LaRon Armstrong, Chief of Violence Prevention, Guillermo Cespedes, and Mayor Libby Schaaf. And we want to hear from you. Have you been... Personally affected by the increase of violence in Oakland. And we, what do you want to ask or tell Oakland's leaders about what's going on? The number is 866 6786. That's 866 733 6786. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know it is KQED Forum, and the email is forum at kqed.org. Mayor Chef, you know, this, comes, this increase comes after a really long and important drop in all kinds of crime, including you know, murders and violent crime in Oakland before the pandemic. Back then, a lot of people attributed that success to a program that the chief of police just mentioned, Operation Ceasefire. Can you tell us about what you think has changed from what was
4: working clearly before? Yeah, Alexis, it's, it's just heartbreaking because it really felt like Oakland had turned the corner by utilizing Ceasefire. And I wanna emphasize that ceasefire is an example of how polarization does not serve us in our quest for public safety. Because ceasefire recognizes that we must go hard on prevention, on communicating to people that we want them to live and be free. We don't take any pleasure in incarcerating people. That is not our goal. Our goal is to get people to put down the guns and stop engaging in violence. However, if they don't heed that message, if they do not take advantage of the services that we offer continually to help people get into a more productive and safe lifestyle, then we will bring focused enforcement with serious consequences upon those individuals or members of a group that our statistics show that could be driving particularly retaliatory violence and violence that has a social component to it, a social dynamic, just like disease. And that is why we use a public health approach. Mm -hmm. So that very comprehensive kind of carrot and stick approach of ceasefire had really created what many people called the Oakland miracle. We were recognized nationally as having one of the most dramatic and sustained reductions in gun violence that any city had ever achieved. And that all went out the window with COVID. And I see several things happening that have caused that. Um, First and foremost, many of the tools of, of ceasefire were not available during the lockdown. And yet Mm -hmm. now that those lockdowns are over, we are still seeing some remnants of them Mm -hmm. because ceasefire is not in a vacuum. It relies on our court systems to work. It relies on um, people having access to the information and intelligence that we have about who really is willing to change their lives and who needs to be removed from a situation where they are driving gun violence in our city. Hmm. And the slowdown of the courts, as well as the recruitment of younger and younger juveniles that get treated quite differently in our court system appropriately, has not yet adjusted to our new reality. Hmm. I just have to name is the fact that our police staffing is down. That, that impacts our investigations, it impacts that um, enforcement piece of ceasefire, that has also been a challenge.
3: We're talking about the increase in violence in Oakland with Mayor Libby Schaaf, Chief of Police, Laurent Armstrong, and Chief of Violence Prevention, Guillermo Cespedes. I'm Alexis Madrill. We're gonna take some calls right after the break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about market increase in violence in Oakland after a period of long decline with Mayor Libby Schaff, Chief of Police, LaRon Armstrong, and Chief of Violence Prevention, Guillermo Cespedes. Let's get to our first caller. Dee in Oakland, welcome to the show.
6: Thank you for having me. I'm calling because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You talk a lot of stuff. I see no action. I want to know what you've been doing to stop the violence, not what you are talking about what caused the violence. It, I can't even go out of my house. My head is on a swivel. My kid, I can't even let her go outside. Because I don't even call the police as to how many times my car has been broken into, my house been broken into. Mm. I want to know what you're going to do. I'm a taxpaying citizen in Oakland, all of these political people running their mouths and doing nothing. How can I be in a city where I can't even drive down the street without the fear of somebody putting a gun to my head? Man, Do something. Do something.
3: Dee, thank you so much for sharing that experience. I know that, I mean, I've heard that from people in Oakland and... You know, Mayor Schaff, I am sure that you have heard this from from people in Oakland.
4: Oh, I have, and and that sentiment, that frustration, and and also just the grief and trauma mm-hmm. that people are experiencing right now is is at an all time high, and and I I want to acknowledge that we can talk about what we've done. We can also even talk about data that shows impact, but that does not in any way take away from the importance of that sentiment of how people are feeling right now. Now, what I can say is we we will have to recover and be vigilant about rebuilding our police force. Like other American cities, we lost a lot of staffing between the exhaustion of of COVID and the the defund sentiment in Oakland that rose up. It definitely drove officers away from our department and we are in the process of rebuilding that. But you have to stay on top of your elected officials to ensure that that remains a priority.
3: You know, Mayor Chef, on the spending on the police department, you know, I'm looking at a chart here that shows, you know, spending per capita. You know, back in 2014, you know, it's $600, and you know, it goes up, you know, on a, uh, up to over $800 um, after 2020. So it's a pretty, pretty substantial increase. You know, 33% 2014 to 2020. Um, is the is the actual level of spending you know coming down? I understand there might be less people on the force. There's things about retirement and pensions. There's things about o- overtime. Um, How much is the spending actually down, and does that actually match up with how much the violence is up?
4: Okay, Alexis, the the focus on spending is really a distraction. What people need to pay attention to is the actual staffing numbers. Um, One, we've had some misleading budgets in the past that haven't adequately reflected the real utilization of police overtime, which actually saves taxpayers money because the high cost of benefits. Uh, And I'm not gonna geek out uh, about spending, Mm -hmm. but but it really is a distraction about how much police services are there. Mm -hmm. Are we fully utilizing technology in a way that still respects privacy? That is an issue that Oakland is still grappling with because we have to be smarter in how we're using these police. Now, I do want to also emphasize This should not be an either or choice. Oakland has made its biggest increases in investments in prevention, in intervention. And we cannot move away, Alexis, from the national context. While this spike in Oakland has been historic for us, believe it or not, it matches the national average. It is not higher than the national average. And it is so important that people look at this proliferation of guns. Mm. We have never seen so many illegal guns on our streets. And the failure of the federal government to ban assault weapons, as well as the equipment that turns regular guns into assault weapons, to invest adequately in mental health conflict resolution, the, the, the mental state of people, especially our young people, um, these are failures at the federal level. And I want to encourage people to support organizations like Every Town for Gun Safety, their victory fund. We here in California that enjoy stronger gun laws can actually help guide people in, in different parts of the country that need political change so that we can have some action on the federal level. Because no matter what Oakland does, we are part of this national uh, just proliferation of guns, the proliferation of these ghost guns that are not traceable and a failure to address the mental health of our people.
3: Chief Armstrong, I wanted to ask you about the ghost gun problem uh, that Mayor Schaff mentioned. This does seem like a marked change over just a few years ago with a larger and larger percentage of the guns that your department is confiscating coming essentially in a in a kit that's untraceable?
5: Yeah, ghost guns have become a real problem for us. They're known as privately manufactured firearms uh, and they have been troubling. I mean, just yesterday uh, we recovered four ghost guns from one individual, right? I mean, that is, you know, that continues to demonstrate for, first Uh, THE LEVEL OF GUNS THAT WE'RE SEEING IN OUR COMMUNITY EVERY DAY, BUT THE PROBLEM THAT WE'RE FACING WITH ghost GUNS. AND FOR THE DEPARTMENT TO HAVE RECOVERED OVER 1,150 FIREARMS ALREADY THIS YEAR, WHICH IS A 34% INCREASE COMPARED TO LAST YEAR, AND LAST YEAR WE WERE UP 20% AT Mm -hmm. THE SAME TIME. Um, IT REALLY SUGGESTS THAT THERE IS TRULY A PROLIFERATION OF GUNS IN OUR COMMUNITY, BUT AS WELL AS A SIGNIFICANT INCREASE and ghost guns and so that has been troubling it's been very challenging for us to use technology to trace these weapons but it also makes it difficult for us to conduct investigations and look into the use of these firearms because they're not traceable Mm. let's go
3: back to the phones thank you for that chief armstrong uh marisol in oakland welcome
7: hi there um so my question is, and I want to kind of go back to the thing around funding, because I think that is important to note. I don't think it is a distraction. I think that we, um, we need to talk about that because that shows where our values is at and also shows that we are following through with um, the things that taxpayers are, fall- are paying for. So recently there was an action in San Antonio Park where we were able to hear from council people and candidates, mayoral candidates, uh, Alameda, Alameda County Supervisors. And the information that was shared was that there was $70 million, for example, that was um, basically unaccounted for, not one cent is accounted for around how it was spent to address the homelessness problem in Oakland, which is part of the issue this is all interconnected um, and which and the homeless encampments are a haven for a lot of the violence that happens particularly in the san antonio district and not one cent is accounted for so that when, when we say that when you say Mayor Shaft that money is a distraction to this conversation. It is not because that was an opportunity to address and provide services, mental health services, case management, um, different preventative measures um, to support people who are on the streets, who are um, either victims or people who are brutalizing other people. And, and that was something that was really stark, that information that that audit brought out, that one cent of that $70 million was unaccounted for. Second hmm. um, Secondly, um, information that was shared about, you know, being having enforcement be the solution to this violence problem. Um, what was shared in that um, data um, sharing session was that sixty percent of people who are going to the police academy fail; they never graduate. So, invest. I don't see how investing, reinvesting in OPD is going to solve um, any kind of violence when vi- police come after the fact. So I don't think that the argument in reinvesting in OPD when it is invested into and that police themselves cannot even graduate from the police academy Um, and and current police officers are avoiding certain areas of um, Oakland, such as in the B-19X in the San Antonio district, are being avoided or, being, um, or uh, turning a blind eye to the, all those different things that are happening there, which is the violence, the gendered violence against women, the shootings that have happened, which has the highest number of shooting in any district in Oakland. And there is no response. So I just want to hear what's the accountability for that? What's the oversight of these dollars? And how can we, as the community of Oakland, know that the money that's being invested to these programs um, is actually getting to the people who are actually on the ground doing work. I'm a teacher in Oakland. I, I work on the ground. Mm-hmm. I work with these young people. I work at around the corner from where Ruddsdale it would happen and um, you know I just want to say that no, I don't see the impact of yeah. any of the dollars um, in our communities. I'm a resident of East Oakland. And so I don't see the 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 words are not matching the reality on the ground.
1: Yeah. So Marisol,
7: I want to hear a little bit more about the accountability around the oversight of the dollars that are being dedicated to address these issues that you say are being prioritized.
3: Yeah. Marisol, thank thank you for for sharing your perspective and I I understand the the frustration because people do feel like and you know this is not an Oakland problem exclusively. People feel like people keep voting for more dollars to go to these things. And then you come down to on the ground level and it feels like everybody's underfunded. So, uh, Mayor Schaaf, I think this one has to go to you. Um, I don't know if you want to address the specifics of the homeless, um, uh, funds sure, or sure. If you, yeah, let's start there.
4: So, so, um, the 70 million spent on homelessness is all accounted for. It is is clearly laid out in the budget and the allocations that the city council have made. There is public information that shows where the money was spent. What the audit highlighted is a frustration that I think we all share, which is that our ability to access the impact data, the outcomes, which requires us to use the county government's HMIS system, a data system that is centralized to try and track the outcomes of homeless services has been very difficult to access and somewhat opaque. And that is the very legitimate issue that the audit highlighted, Uh, but the actual spending is very clearly accounted for. Uh, But I I don't want to in any way dismiss the caller's frustration. Um, She raises points that many people feel and while I um, believe we have to do both, uh, you know, we have to prevent violence, we have to intervene uh, before violence happens with those who are actually committing it. And as a last resort, we do have to enforce. That is my philosophy. Uh, I do think the conversation about the investment and the role of police is very important. And this caller raises a very uh, strong community voice that really expects a different type of policing that I believe Oakland has led the nation in.
6: Hmm.
3: Let's, uh, uh, Chief Armstrong, there is a comment from Andrew, who writes, I'd like to ask the chief of police whether any of this increase is related to larger interstate groups or is it mostly homegrown homegrown neighborhood sets? Also, can you speak to the relationship between street level sex trafficking and exploitation and the increase in shootings?
5: Yes, what, what we've seen is definitely most of our violence contribute to homegrown groups and gangs from Oakland. BUT WE HAVE AS OF LATE EXPERIENCED A LOT OF uh, VIOLENCE RELATED TO SAN FRANCISCO GANGS AND GROUPS THAT HAVE COME OVER TO OAKLAND AND COMMITTED SEVERAL VIOLENT ACTS WHICH HAS LED US TO WORK CLOSELY WITH SAN FRANCISCO POLICE DEPARTMENT IN ORDER TO GET MORE INFORMATION TO HELP US ADDRESS THAT. WE'VE ALSO SEEN uh, SOME OF OUR GROUPS AND GANGS THAT GO OUT AS FAR AS Antioch AND VALLEJO uh, BE involved in violence in Oakland and we have to realize that this region uh you know is is one in which families move from Oakland to other outlying areas but still have a connection to Oakland and still find themselves uh coming to Oakland uh to hang with friends and family mm-hmm. or even groups that they are connected to when it comes to the human trafficking thing we know that that our human trafficking not only impacts Oakland, but the entire Western region. We know uh, that there are those that come to Oakland specifically to traffic. Uh, We, you know, have a dedicated task force to work on human trafficking along with the district attorney's heat task force to help us address uh, human trafficking as well as the FBI task force. So we're leveraging the resources that we have in order to address human trafficking. I also just want to Feedback on one thing that was mentioned earlier about the investment is is you know one of the things that because i think the caller brings up an important point about how the department actually uses the funds around recruiting and retaining officers and when i took over as chief to almost two years ago that's one of the things that i wanted to change is our attrition rate out of the academy and out of the training process and so uh, really what we've done is actually improve in those areas pretty significantly. Our now rate of leaving the academy is about 85%. We lose less than three to four people out of our each academy, which is significantly better than it was in previous years. And then our field training program, we went from nearly a 50, uh, 50% attrition rate to now 100% graduation rate. And so we have taken uh, you know, uh, opportunities to make improvements in both of those areas. And we, the Oakland Police Department, is one of the successful academy, the most successful academies in Northern California. There's only three of us uh, that are actual police departments that have academies. Uh, our department is uh, is demonstrating that we have uh, one of the highest success rates of all academies now. And so I think we've taken action to improve, to make sure that we are using uh, the city's dollars in the most effective way and hiring local to, localers uh, from oakland oaklanders bay area people who actually have a connection to oakland and we think that that's helping with that improvement yeah
3: you know uh mel one of our colleagues wanted to ask that uh how many oakland officers actually live in oakland yes. chief armstrong
5: yes we are up to about 15 percent now we initially was about a year ago we were somewhere around. So we've seen an improvement. We've seen several officers from Oakland uh, actually join um, several people from Oakland join the Oakland Police Department. Uh, We've seen our Merritt College Public Safety Academy, which is our pipeline to the Oakland Police Department begin to funnel more candidates into our academy and so we think that is going to lead to even a higher number of people from Oakland. But I also want people to understand Oakland is not a cheap city to live in. And so although officers may initially join the police department and be from Oakland or live in Oakland, is you know there are times where in a couple of years that they may seek to purchase a home outside of Oakland. So why we recruit, we say a connection to Oakland, a Bay Area connection because we think that's critically important. The cost of living is important as well.
3: Yeah. We're talking about the increase in violence in Oakland after, you know, really remarkable decline through the 2010s. We're joined by Chief of Police Leron Armstrong, Mayor Libby Schaff and Chief of Violence Prevention Guillermo Espedez. We do want to hear from you. Have you been affected by the increase in violence in Oakland? And What do you want to ask or tell Oakland's leaders about this? You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. We are going to get to as many calls as we can. Also, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum. The email is forum at kqed.org. Uh, listener Henry writes in to say, As an emergency medicine resident physician at Highland Hospital in Oakland, Anecdotally, I've seen a shocking increase in non-fatal violence, gunshot wounds, stabbings, assaults. Many of these injuries are to people who were simply caught in the crossfire. And some of these injuries, while non-fatal, are devastatingly life-changing for both patients and their families. There are many dedicated and hardworking people in the violence prevention community trying to tackle this issue, and we desperately need more resources to support. We're going to talk more about that when we come back. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the increase in violence in Oakland after years of decline. We're joined by Mayor Libby Schaff, Chief of Police, Laurent Armstrong, and Chief of Violence Prevention, Guillermo Cespedes. Wanted to address one comment. Annie writes in to say, I sympathize with the leaders of Oakland and the entrenched challenges they face, guns, trauma from racism, etc., but I watch local news every night, and so avoid getting anywhere near Oakland. What's going on in that city? Whatever it is, I pray it doesn't spread and infect other Bay Area cities. And I want to tell you, this is my city, and I love it there. And it's a beautiful, vibrant place with an incredible community, all kinds of communities. And it's I, 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 it's one of the greatest places in the world, and that's what makes so much of this violence so difficult to, um, to deal with. Uh, I want to bring in uh, Deborah in... Oakland. Welcome to the show, Deborah.
8: Hi, good morning. Um, I just have a few things to say. I am a somewhat recently retired teacher from Oakland Unified. I have, over the years, I taught high school for quite a long time. I had asked students, you know, without asking for names or anything, do you think students are coming to school armed? And they said, yes, absolutely. And that was at several different schools. And um, I asked one student who I had a fairly close relationship with, You know, if he had a gun, I said I wasn't going to report him. I felt it was important, but he trusts me. And he said, yes, he had it for protection. He felt if he didn't have a gun, he was at greater risk. So that's one thing I wanted to mention. Another is um, I would like to see some kind of nonviolence curriculum at every level, starting with kindergarten or TK up through 12th, where students understand the impact of violence on themselves, their families, their communities, and so on. Because I don't know that, you know, they're always, really thinking about it in that context. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see um, teachers, and to be honest, um, students and uh, the police as well, to learn some self-de-escalation techniques. I feel myself getting angry. What should I do? How can I handle this? I think that needs to be very explicitly taught. Um, I think there's a problem that the police themselves are often very violent. And the last thing I'll mention, um, just with teaching about nonviolence and how it impacts, Mm -hmm. you know, so much more than, you know, the mm-hmm. person who is injured, the last thing is um, I have a former student who was incarcerated that I remain in touch with. And he told me that his mother has told people he's away studying because she's so ashamed. Mm-hmm. He did commit a violent act. He did shoot somebody. And, you know, uh, he's been in for many years, so I don't know that his mother's been able to keep up that pretext. Mm-hmm. But the point is that we need to mm-hmm. teach our students very explicitly how to handle problems. Um okay you know, and to teach them about nonviolence and how yeah. it can be performed even in a place like that. So anyway, that was all I wanted to say. No,
3: thank you, Deborah. I appreciate that perspective. Thanks for, for teaching the kids. Um, Guillermo, I wanted to ask you about this, you know, for the, for the younger people, kids in school, what can be done or, or are there specific things that need to be done, especially or different uh, at, at this moment in time relative to, you know, others?
4: Alexis, um, Chief Cespedes has had to step off the call, so I will do my best to answer for him. Um, I wanna really acknowledge that that he made a decision earlier in the pandemic to invest in school-based intervention. And so, um, and and I, I absolutely wanna underscore everything that that beautiful teacher just said about the fear that our children are living in and the fact they feel they need to arm themselves as protection and yet having access to that gun, we know leads to tragic outcomes. And so the investment in a school-based um, conflict resolution, uh, social emotional learning, uh, these are all things that our district um, has valued and, and is gonna continue to double down in but we can't underscore the impact of this pandemic on the mental health of our young people. The statistics are staggering. You know, 80% increase in young people reporting high levels of anxiety, depression. Uh, and I wanna also emphasize that uh, Chief Sespedes was successful in winning a huge grant from the state of California. And that is gonna be invested in working with whole families, particularly using cognitive behavioral therapy to not just address the individual's um, mental reaction to conflict and violence, but also to look at the family dynamics and how we can heal that whole family unit and turn to a different kind of rewiring of the brain to not choose violence as a response.
3: You know, Matt, one of our listeners writes in to say that you mentioned Project Ceasefire, but didn't describe what's actually going on with the policy. What is the city doing in reality to, to make sure those policies get imple- implemented again right? Um, there's, you know, in the in the past, you had noted that Ceasefire had been implemented in different ways, Mayor Schaaf, and that we'd really been able to improve the implementation of that program um, so so what happens now? How do we re, how do we restore the linkages? How do we get back to you know, gr- higher attendance in the face to face meetings that we're supposed to be part of ceasefire? Um, can you talk about the specifics of rebuilding that program post pandemic?
4: Alexis, I'll be honest with you. We have gotten back to the face to face communications. Um, you know, I pull the entire ceasefire partnership into my office or now into my virtual office um, every few months. Uh, we meet as as a partnership, and that includes doctors from Highland Hospital, a very important partner to us, uh, the, the probation department, the DA. It's, it's a very extensive partnership that is both um, our you know, violence interrupters who are on the ground trying to work with people to get them to accept services, to provide lo- life coaching, all the way to the top brass of the police department. But we've been doing what we call custom notifications. When there's a violent uh, occurrence that we believe has a risk of retaliation, we deploy communicators, trusted messengers, to actually talk to people that we believe are at highest risk of engaging in retaliation. We have call-ins, which are group meetings, very effective. Uh, People come from all over the country to see how Oakland conducts Collins, where it starts with a real tough love message that the law enforcement has you on their radar screen. We are watching you. We will bring down the, the power of law enforcement if you don't change your behavior. And then a more hopeful message when law enforcement reads, leaves the room of all the services and help that we want to provide to get people to shift their path. That all has actually been going on quite well this year where we are struggling is the enforcement side of the equation, the threat that if you don't engage in this violence, we will bring enforcement action. That has struggled because of our staffing problems as well as the changes in how the courts are working um, that that one don't like don't don't really make this this this. Credible threat of um, consequences, real either for people that we know are at biggest risk of driving retaliatory violence, uh, or or for our juveniles. And then finally, just the depths of despair and the new recruits into, into this type of activity that have not been on our radar screen. Um, I think that is another challenge, but I'd ask Chief um, Armstrong to weigh in as well.
3: Yeah, and Chief Armstrong, let me, um, before you uh, take it over, let me piggyback with another uh, comment from one of our listeners, um, tough story. Angela writes, I am a survivor of gun violence. I've been shot. OPD did nothing to find the person who shot me, even though they had the car he was driving and witnesses who could ID him. One of the witnesses was on the phone with OPD before the shooting, trying to get them to come out, which obviously they didn't until it was too late. Again, this is Angela writing in, but then they didn't care because I lived and Lynette McElhaney's grandson was killed the same week of my shooting, so that was more important to them. What I've come to realize is that I'm glad the person who shot me didn't get caught by the police. Policing, jail, prisons are not the answer. Where are the restorative justice programs, violence prevention advocates? Where's the trauma therapy and grief support for when violence does occur? Chief Armstrong, I want to give you a, a chance to respond first to just the the responding to um, uh, shootings and how well the force is able to address what's happening in streets and, and getting to people, uh, I suppose.
5: Yeah, it's always unfortunate when our shooting victim uh, doesn't get justice. You know, I think what it largely depends on is the department developing trust, because the department cannot investigate crimes without uh, people's participation without uh, them being a part of those investigations and that's been challenging we you know treat all violence shootings and homicides as our highest priority um, is the sanctity of life in this city and that's where we've dedicated the vast majority of the resources that we have And, and so we take every shooting very seriously. We, can, As a part of our ceasefire strategy, we conduct a shooting review every Thursday where we look at every single shooting, everyone involved in that shooting, and we work hard to identify the people responsible for that shooting. We also partner with federal uh, law enforcement to assist us. The ATF is helping us analyze ballistic evidence. We have the FBI who is actually located uh, in our building with us in that partnership helping us with investigations. So we do take these investigations seriously, but what hinders investigations a lot of times is the lack of participation from those that have seen these incidents occur. Also sometimes even victims who don't want to cooperate. And so I think it has to be a collaborative effort between community and law enforcement in order to solve crime. can't do it alone. The mere fact that we respond to a shooting, collect evidence, it still requires us to have the victim's cooperation and support. We also need the help of our district attorney's office and our judges to hold people accountable. I think to the mayor's point uh, that if that cog is not working uh, in conjunction with that enforcement arm, uh, then it really it really weakens our message. That when our officers go out and conduct uh, extensive investigations and make arrests. If those individuals are not held in custody, uh, then it sends the message that they are okay to come back out and commit more violence in our community. And so it all needs to work uh, together to make sure that our message is clear that when you pick up a gun and use it, uh, that there will be swift action taken. And so that was that has been weakened as a result after the pandemic. Uh, but I think it's something that the mayor and I have been working hard to strengthen by meeting with the judges, by meeting with uh, the probation department, by really calling on those partners uh, to, to help us out uh, to address this violence. But we do take these shootings seriously. And it's, it's very challenging, obviously, when you hear the stories of people who have been victims of shootings and not felt like they got the right service. But true, uh, I truly believe that that's our commitment, that's my commitment. The mayor pushes me and my staff every day to make sure that we're following up on investigations. Um, And so this is the priority for this department is addressing gun violence. Yeah,
4: Alexis, I want to say like, I just want to deeply apologize to that person who wrote in. And it just demonstrates that when we cannot convince our residents of the legitimacy of our laws and our systems, That is part of the problem that people turn to street violence because they've lost faith in government safety and that is a huge issue and we have got to regain the trust of the person that just wrote into you, because that is part of public safety here and everywhere
3: got a bunch of uh, comments starting to roll in. I'm going to go through uh, some of them. I think it just shows the sort of difficulties of uh, a community that's really divided on what the role of police should be in public safety. Uh, Kay writes, we know that community policing and having officers out of the car being integrated into the community is effective. Why are we not doing this? I've been an Oakland resident for 20 years and have never felt so safe. Wendy writes, Outside our apartment building in the East Lake District, there is a small homeless encampment. Many people come by in the night to party and seem to be purchasing and doing drugs. Yesterday, there was a man laying in the street unconscious. I've witnessed physical altercations erupting. We find needles and burnt foil wrappers on the ground, as well as bottles filled with urine and feces in our front yard. Her pit bull is running around off leash. My mother's afraid to check her mailbox, which is directly in front of the encampment. One listener writes, People might support hiring more police so the city could show if there was more robust civilian oversight of the department with enforcement and criminal consequences for criminal actions by officers. Another listener writes, I've lived in Oakland almost 60 years. I've been mugged three times in the last two years, once violently, car broken in twice, and I've heard so many others have the same thing happen to them. Ashley writes, I don't know how anyone can continue to justify the amount of money that goes to the police department with little to no result. Their constant surveillance, violence, and disruption in East Oakland, where I live, causes more harm than it does good. I'm not sure why it is difficult to understand that crime is prevented by communities with resources, not police. Communities that have healthy resources, housing, medical care, food, and good jobs to prevent crime. We live in Gotham, and I'm tired of it. I love Oakland, but I just had to buy two rims and tires because my drive to work is covered with potholes. All these things are connected, and the money keeps going into the black hole that is OPD. And last one, Vince writes, I'm shocked listening to the continual excuses on this show. Where are the arrests? Where is the crackdown on gangs? Enough is enough. Mayor Schaaf, it it falls to you to balance these different forces, different opinions, different ideologies in the community. What do you think needs to happen? Like, If you were to give people three things right now, that Oakland needs to focus on in order to make the situation on the ground better, what would they be for you?
4: You know, I want to acknowledge that part of the lack of feeling safe is also driven by things like trash, like the encampments that challenge us both, you know, our our compassion and, you know, our sense of city pride. Um, And when we look at overall crime, more than half of our serious crimes are car break-ins and car thefts. And so while these are not violent crimes, they, they feel violent to the person who you know, has, has gotten up in the morning and doesn't have a way to get their child to school, get, get to their job uh, because their car has been stolen overnight. Mm-hmm. So I wanna acknowledge that, that these factors also drive a sense of safety. Which has already been compromised by just the disquieting impacts of COVID. Now I think we as a city need to do a much better job of communicating what we are doing, what we are seeing is working. Uh, We recently did a survey of Oakland residents, and I was surprised to see that that was one of the top responses that would make people feel like the city of Oakland was going in a good direction, was simply knowing more about what city government is doing. So communication. Um, Secondly, the, the issue about the increased coordination between all of our different aspects of both prevention, intervention, and enforcement Um, We know that we are just not gonna be able to continue to spend more. We need to better utilize the resources we have. That includes coordination, partnership, and I believe better utilization of technology. Um, Our city council has held up a policy that would allow us to um, appropriately utilize license plate readers. And again, I just gave you that statistic of more than half of our crimes involve cars. Um, and that is a tool that I think we should deploy more. Mm.
6: Um,
4: and then finally, I do always think that we've got to have the long view. As much as this moment feels so unsettling, to continue to invest in our children, to get teach them the social and emotional skills that they need to navigate these difficult times with a sense of safety, with a sense of hope for their future. And things like um, our work with the Oakland Promise, providing every baby, a baby bond, and every high school graduate, a a college scholarship. I believe that that is actually a public safety tool that um, is won't won't have immediate payoffs but long term is something that will bear tremendous fruit yeah
3: thank you mayor schaaf we have been talking about the increase in violence in oakland after years and years of decline thank you so much for joining us mayor libby schaaf and chief of police armstrong laran armstrong earlier we were joined by chief of violence prevention guillermo Cespedes. Thank you so much to all of you, too. This is a difficult show. Thank you for sharing your experiences. And we know how differently people feel about policing. And I really appreciate you listening to each other. Thank you so much. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio,